Great, well what a great day this is, isn't it fantastic uh, for us to be able to celebrate with our friends uh, today on their baptism. My name is Ewan, uh, I am a third year criminology student, just coming to the very, very end of my degree. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to be coming to the end, um, I have to tell you. Um, I've been at G2 for approaching two and a half years now. And um, I've been asked to come and share a little bit about b- baptism and why we do it. Because let's face it, if this is your first time at G2 today, right? You've walked into a building that was once a school in the middle of Town Hall in York. We've invited you in, we've had some uh, tea and coffee, you've had Rocky Road. You came on the right week, I tell you that, right? Rocky Road week. Uh, you've done well. Uh, we've sung some songs to the projector screen, and uh, we've invited four people to come and stand up in the front. And then invited him into our birthing pool, what may as well be a birthing pool, and because they've answered our questions correctly, we've dumped them under, and then brought them back up again, and done a loud cheer. If you've just walked in for the first time, this must look bizarre. This must look absolutely wild. But is there something more to this than than what it first seems? We undoubtedly haven't uh, brought these guys here for a bath. Because it's a very long and exhaustive process for a bath. And there isn't any redox in there, so it's not uh, a standard bath anyway. Yeah, I have bath standards. Uh, (laughs) Doesn't pass, I'm afraid. So today, we've asked each person uh, to share a little bit of their testimony on their video. A story, as it were. And um, to to tell you what point they've come to in their life. And you'll notice a theme that runs through each of their stories, right? They've each had different upbringings. Some were brought up in the church and some weren't. They've each experienced different things. They've not all come through the church like cubs or scouts. They haven't earned their Bible reading badge or their Pray Non-Stop Award. Or uh, they don't have five gold stars to manage to last a whole day without doing anything wrong. I've got that award, yeah. <laughs> I wish, I wish. Um, they are just... Three individuals who've all come to a point in their life where they believe that there is something more to life than this. Recently, a a Christian organisation called Alpha asked people in the street two questions. First, what makes you happy? And secondly, do you believe there is more to life than this? And this is their response. Things that make me happy are when I've not got to look at the clock. And eating good food really makes me happy. (laughs) Yes. I do think there's more to life than this. I don't, really. Fantastic. There's some of their responses. And what fascinates me about these people's responses is they know what makes them happy. But when asked, is there more to life than this? There is such a range of responses. There's great hesitation. Actually, most people think there is something more to life than this. Or they just don't know. But actually, they will think about this question for maybe two or three minutes in the day. And then they will carry on with their lives as if the question was never asked. That's a big question to carry on with your life. Is there something more to life than this? And so I'm going to ask that question today. Is there something more to life than this? And I want to look at three things that I believe that each person is searching for. Real life, real love and real forgiveness. Firstly, real life. In this world, people are constantly searching for real life. They're searching for adventure. People believe that once they've found happiness, they'll, they'll find life. Perhaps when they have gained success, they'll find life. In fact, some people have tried to find life in, in money. And others have even tried to buy life. Some have tried to find real life in their career or, or their social life. 
Others have tried to find life in, in drugs or, or alcohol. Some have tried to find life in possessions, other in fame. But each time we think we've found life in these things, we realise they're temporary. We find that money, success, careers come and go, but we're still alive, we're still living. We hear the same thing, people say the same thing. Once all that stuff has been tried, when I've gained everything that I can, something inside still feels empty. I still haven't found real life. Bob Marley, the famous reggae artist, said this, money can't buy life. So how do we find real life? On my baptism day, right, my granddad wrote me a letter. And just to give you an idea of what my granddad is like, I think that photo, there he is. There's my granddad and grandma on their 60th wedding anniversary. Um, and my granddad is now 87 years old, right? And this was only last year. And he is quite on cue, right? He, he gets it. He's as well today as I, I can ever really remember him. And uh, just to give you an example of what he's like, back at Christmas, he asked me what I got for Christmas. And I explained a little bit about what I got. Some of the CDs I've got and, uh, and, and a couple of bits and pieces. And I started to tell him about this present that my uncle had given to me. And I tried to come and sort of dampen it down a little bit. Kind of make it a bit more accessible for, for, for my 87-year-old granddad. So I started explaining it. It's, this, it's this, kind of, this kind of hole that you use to take photos of yourself, right? And he, down the phone, mid-sentence, he stops me. And he's like, what? What? You mean a selfie stick? <laughs> and I'm like, how on earth does my granddad know what a selfie stick is? Do they have one? Are they down Marks and Spencer's, aisle nine, taking photos with a three-minute microwaveable shepherd's pie? They put it on Instagram later, you know, coffee morning, Jean will give that a like. Couldn't even do a follow for a follow. What, what is going on? So my granddad, on his baptism day, wrote me a letter, right? And I want to read you an extract of that letter. But I need to do a deal with you, right? If you promise not to well up, I will try not to as well, right? This could go back, this could be the end of my speaking career, let me tell you, if I'm on the floor in tears. It says this. I remember when I was just 15, when I first trusted Christ on the 10th of January, 1943. That was a long time ago. I was subsequently baptised in 1944, and looking back over all those years, I can truly say that though I have failed on many occasions... The Christian life for me has been so fulfilling and meaningful, and here it is, that if I could have my life again, apart from my failures, nothing would change. My granddad found that real life in Jesus. How incredible that he could get to the age of 87 after living a long and adventurous life and say that he would not change anything apart from the times that he'd failed. That he would not change in trusting his life to Jesus. That Jesus has been worth it. Jesus isn't just a little addition to his life, but one that gives him real life. Jesus says, in possibly my favourite verse in the Bible, John 10.10, 10, The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give life, and life in all its fullness. The Bible tells us that Jesus offers real life, life to the max if you like. There's this fantastic myth about Christianity that when you become a Christian, life all of a sudden becomes really boring. The Christians just exist to kind of, the moment the little bit of fun slips under the radar, the uh, fun police are deployed from the church to hoover up any escaped enjoyment in life. But actually, if that is the Christian life, friends, I'm not doing it right. Because life is exciting. The Christian life is dynamic. It's a fullness with Jesus. It's an adventure. 
And I'm, if it is boring, I'm not sure I want to be a part of it. And that's a challenge for us as Christians in the room, that life in all its fullness, use it. Jesus has given us life in its fullness. Tony Campolo, my, my all-time hero, says, don't tiptoe through life just so you can arrive at death safely. Slide sideways in at 120 miles an hour, screaming, wow, what a ride. Real life is found in Jesus. Secondly, real love. The world is searching for love. The world longs to be loved. We each long to be loved. We each long to be valued. People will go to great lengths to discover that they're loved. Some will even achieve the highest fame. They'll have the biggest fan base in the world. And yet they will conclude that though they tried to quote you two, they still haven't found what they're looking for. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, achieved fame beyond all his wildest dreams. And at the end of his life, on his deathbed, he was asked about all the achievements and many accolades he had won. And he said this, I'd give it all up to feel real love. Somebody who had all that he thought life had to offer him. Somebody who had the fame and the fortune and the style. He'd give everything up to feel real love. 1 John 4, 10 says this. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Friends, if you take nothing else from anything that I say today, absolutely nothing else, please take this. That God loves you. God loves you. Not that we first loved God, but actually that God first loved us. As Psalm 139 says, Oh yes, you shaped me inside then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You are breathtaking. Body and soul I am marvellously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was formed from something, from nothing, into something. That God, in love, created you, brought you into being, and knows you better than you know yourself. We were sculpted from nothing into something, brought into real life by real love. Thirdly, real forgiveness. And it's out of that love that God sent his son Jesus to earth. And in the Bible, Jesus is described as an archegos, right? And we get this word, archegos, in English. We get our words chief, ruler, leader, and the Jews had been promised the Messiah, one who would save them. They were expecting this mighty Archegos, like a kind of Legolas character who would come riding over the hill and slay everything in its path um, to save God's people. But Jesus wasn't what they were expecting. He was born as a baby in a stable. He lived a perfect life and he carried out many miracles. He taught fantastic things about loving others. He healed the sick. But at the end of his life, age about 33 years old, the Bible tells him he was hauled up in front of the people. He was whipped and beaten. The Bible tells us that he wasn't even recognisable as a human being. That's how bad things had got. And then he was hung on a cross to die. This didn't seem to be the archegos way of doing things. Can you imagine if that's how Lord of the Rings had ended? Like, it wouldn't have been quite the story that it was. I'm not sure it would have quite achieved the fame it did. In fact, this was as good as defeat. The Messiah, the one who will save the people, was dead. And it was hardly the end that they had 
expected. So how on earth then do we find real love, real life, and real forgiveness in a failed hero? Because that's what it was. It seemed to be a failed hero. But thankfully the story doesn't stop there. And this is the gospel, this is the good news that we hear, that there is something more to life. Because three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead. The tomb where he was held was empty. And it's in this dying and rising again that we come to find that there is something more. We come to find that real life, that real love, and that real forgiveness. Over the last couple of weeks as a church, we've been looking at the story of Noah. And it's a story that that we know well. The world has become so full of wrongdoing. and, And God said, we need to start this again. So he calls Noah to build an ark. And on the ark was Noah and his wife and their three sons and their three wives. And there was three people in total. And obviously two of any, every other. Oh, that was going to be a good joke. I was about to set up for a good joke, but it's, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Hurrah, hurrah. There we go. Um, it won't be on the screen, but this is what the Bible says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in spirit. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So what does that mean? We recently heard from Holly and how when Noah built the ark, the rains came and he took two of every animal. Noah, his wife, three sons and their wives. And only eight people were saved from this flood and the world was reset. But actually this time that wasn't enough. God didn't want to just keep resetting the world. He promised that he would never flood the earth again. And so Jesus, the Archegos, was God's rescue plan. Through Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, he took our place. The punishment that we deserve for turning away from God. That was taken by Jesus on the cross. Possibly what has come to be known as the most well-known Bible verse. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. This is the miracle of real life, real love and real forgiveness. That the ark of salvation, the ark of being saved by Jesus, is not reserved just for the eight. But it's reserved for all who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Many of you will know that I, um, I work across uh, the prison service uh, as a youth worker, um, and uh, I've worked across the north of England and, and also the UK uh, for about four years now. And when you work in prisons, illustrations are everything. They're absolutely everything. Theological arguments, I don't really understand them. The, the lads don't really understand them. And so we have to kind of have some form of way of showing them what Jesus has done for them. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, how, how, do I, how do I kind of get this message across? And I was, I was just sat there thinking, I was thinking, well, these lads don't have all have the same story. They don't understand the same background. 
They, 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 don't, they don't all have the same upbringing. Many of them have been traumatic, but it's not been the same. And as I sat and thought about it, I realised that one thing united all of these lads. One thing. That at some point in their lives, they had stood in front of a judge in a court. And I asked them to imagine this scene. Imagine you stand in the, do- in the dock. You are guilty as charged. The, ver- the judge reads out the verdict. You know what's coming. As the verdict of everything you've done drones on through your head, runs a sentence that's about to come your way. What, what might prison be like? How will you cope? After all, you, you deserve it. And as the judge utters those words, John, I sentence you to. Somebody runs in the room. They run into the room and, and towards, the, towards the judge they shout, stop, stop. I'll take the punishment. The judge looks and says, well, you know, I'm about to sentence this, this lad to a, to a life in, in, in prison without the chance of parole. He says, yes, yes, I understand. I understand it. And the judge looks towards you and says, do you believe that this man can and will take the punishment for you? At that moment, I turn to the lads and say, what would you do? Right? I can't repeat 98% of the words that come out as a first response. <laughs> but the main gist why would you not? Why would you not? If somebody runs into the dog and says, you know what? You deserve the punishment, but I will take it for you so that you may go free. Why would you not? As Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what baptism is about. Right, whilst this is a Church of England church, and I may get in trouble from the Anglicans for saying this, there is nothing special about that water, right? We haven't gone and got it from the reservoir of baptismal waters just off Junction 29 of the M1. That doesn't exist for all the parents who are like, desperate for good days out with the kids. I can see the elation in here thinking, we'll take them, we'll take them, wherever. It, it doesn't come from there, it's tap water. And uh, the fact is... The Bible says in that verse I read out, baptism is not about washing of the bodies, but it's about dying to our old self and rising up into new life. This is what the guys that have been baptised today have done. They've said this, I lived my life on my own terms. I I lived life my own way. But I came to a realisation that there was something more. There was something more. In Jesus living, they have found real life. In Jesus loving, they found real love. And in Jesus dying, they have found real forgiveness. I'm going to invite uh, the band to come up uh, behind me and uh, just play. And maybe you're here for the first time. Perhaps this is your, um, your first time at G2. Maybe you've been here uh, before. Maybe you are looking. Maybe you are searching for that something more. Maybe you are looking for what life has not so far been able to offer. Maybe life is great for you. Maybe you absolutely love it. But you just feel that there is something missing. Maybe you've never realised that you were searching for it. To quote Avicii, maybe all this time you've been finding yourself, but you didn't know you were lost. Maybe you are searching for that real love, that real life that real forgiveness that Jesus offers. If that is you today, we want to give you that opportunity to grab that life with both hands, 
today to entrust your life to him. Perhaps you think if Jesus did love people, he wouldn't love me. But one of the lads I work with, he's got this tattoo up his arm, a quote from Oscar Wilde, and it says this. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. That is a fantastic reminder for me that Jesus dying on the cross and rising again and taking our place has covered everything that we've done wrong, that we will do wrong. Myself and some members of the church and the core team are going to be standing down here. And if today you feel you want to start that journey with Jesus, in the song we're about to sing, we want to ask you, come out to the front with us. Come and pray with us. Come and chat with us. If you've come with somebody today, if somebody you're here supporting somebody, bring them with you. We'd love to invite you to pray with them as well. Please, please don't let this opportunity pass you by. Maybe you've been at G2 for a while now. And um, maybe you found that gospel has just become second nature. That real life, real love and real forgiveness in Jesus has just become something that is another part of life. We want to also pray with you guys that you will rediscover that fire for Jesus. That you'll once again become passionate about the gospel of Christ. This might be a daunting thing for you to come out to the front. We'll just be at the side there. But if you feel that you want that real life, real love and real forgiveness, we want to offer you that. Because Jesus offers you that. And I question, if there is something more, why wouldn't you take it?